morning, church family. For those of you who don't know me, my name is James Woodstra, and uh, I get to be a part of a small group and small group on Wednesday night, and then a uh, couple small group on on Sunday morning. So I just wanted to talk to you guys a little bit about kind of pre-small group for me and then post-small group for me. So pre-small group for me might look like I come in the door in um, church and some people might ask me how I'm doing, and uh, I might look at you and smile and say, things are great and everything is wonderful. And uh, inside, I could be dying. I could be going through lots of troubles and tribulations, but on the outside, it really looked like everything was all together for me. So now I'm going to take you into post-small group. Um, so when I got to start becoming a part of a small group, um, things changed, and, uh, and, I, and I look at it from a scripture perspective. In Matthew chapter 18, verse 20, it says, Where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I with them. So as, as I be, began becoming a part of a small group, um, it started happening where I was able to trust a smaller group of people. Um, I look at it like this. When, when uh, we're all here together and Patrick is preaching, somebody's not going to raise their hand and say, uh, you know what, I have a really bad problem in my life, and I'm going to share it right now with all of you. No, that doesn't happen, right? It, it happens over time when we start trusting that small group of people that we get to do life with. And um, now I can give you an example of this past week. Um, I was struggling with some things, and I sent a text message out to my group of uh, men that I meet with on Wednesday nights, and I said, hey, I need I need prayer for this. And um, I got text messages back right away saying, we're doing battle with you. We're praying for you. And and that's where I really feel like that's when the spirit moves, right? It, when we start getting out of the dark and getting ourselves into the light, then God can work in those situations. So um, I, I really invite you guys who are not a part of a small group to become a part of that. Um, I will be um, in the Welcome Center after church, and there will be a sign-up sheet there for you um, to become, uh, you can sign up for a small group, and there's there's different time slot days that you can meet. So at this time, uh, I would invite you guys to stand up and uh, meet and greet one another. Good morning. The past couple of weeks, Patrick has been uh, rather busy. Last week, I don't know if you were aware of it or not, but uh, our senior did a triathlon. He's crazy. <laughs> he went out and he swam a mile in Lake Michigan, and then he bicycled his heart out, and then he ran a whole bunch of miles after that, and then he was happy and celebrated. I think he's easy. But uh, this weekend, he's uh, in Traverse City doing a, a wedding for a wonderful Christian couple. And so he asked if I would fill in for him uh, this week. And so uh, with that, uh, I hope you bear with me. I woke up this morning with an allergy attack, so if I start sneezing or something like that, you'll understand what's going on. You know, many of you probably heard the old story about the, the police officer who was on patrol and... Uh, he saw this car racing in and out of traffic and stuff, and it pulls up to a stoplight, and um, the light turns, and the car in front of the guy doesn't take off fast enough, so the guy's beating on his horn, and he's yelling and screaming and stuff like that, and he whips out in front of the guy, pulls in front of him, slams on his brakes, and then takes off. And the police officer sees the guy and goes, it ain't going to happen. So he chases him down, pulls him over, and immediately arrests the person, and takes them to jail. After about an hour, 
you know, the police officer comes back to the cell and opens it up and says to the party, you know, I apologize for the arrest. Um, uh, you're free to go. And the person kind of angrily looked at, you know, the officer said, what the heck did you arrest me for in the first place? And the officer says, well, you know, I saw this Christian fish and cross on the back of your car. I saw this follow me to Sunday school bumper sticker and this one that says, you know, what would Jesus do? And I thought, obviously, you must have stolen somebody's car. You know, I don't know if that story should be funny or sad. This country's changing. And sadly, this country's changing not necessarily for the better. It used to be that when you saw a cross hanging on somebody's neck, on a necklace, you would assume that they were a Christian. But the other day I was watching the news and I saw this protester and they were standing up yelling and screaming about freedom of choice and um, and they had a cross on their neck. And I thought, you know, they're wearing that hat that, you know, is supposed to symbolize women's rights and stuff like that and the behavior was terrible. And I thought, you know, how confusing must that be for a world that looks and says, you know, that that person's a Christian. And then I was talking to a young lady who told me that I don't know what I was being upset about because, after all, it's just a piece of jewelry. It doesn't really mean anything anyways. And I thought, well, you know what? I guess that is the state of affairs today. It seems that just as wearing a piece of jewelry today doesn't say who you are, lifestyles don't necessarily do either. And nowhere does that seem to hold truer than sometimes people who call themselves Christians. Hmm. Some who go to church every Sunday morning, some who go on occasion, depending upon what their fell or whim is, For some, this type of worship that we do this morning is nothing more than a matter of routine. A case of where they'll wander in, you know, whenever they feel like it. And of course, they're watching their watch to make sure we're out of here by 12 o'clock. I mean, totally unacceptable if we may run a little over or something like that. For others, it's a case of where they go to the church, not because the church has a message or has a meaning in their lives. It's entertainment. I mean, they got a great worship band, and it's moving and jamming, and, and, you know, they're into that. Or, I personally know some people who go to a certain church, not because of the messages, not because it lifts them up, but because it's the place to be. You see, they're doing networking. And there's people in that church that they want to connect with, and they want to have as a part of their circle. Now, others protest the fact that you don't really need to go to church. I mean, after all, it's like Justin Bieber says there, you don't have to go to church to be a Christian. I mean, after all, you go to Taco Bell, that don't make you a taco. Well, yeah, I I guess you could say that. The lifestyle of a Christian seems to be rapidly being replaced also by this aspect that we are feeling it's more important for our comfort and our relaxation than it is for us to get up on a Sunday morning and come to a church for rejuvenation and to be 
revived in our spirit and our walk. See, sadly, still others see the purpose of attending a worship for others with believers as becoming lost in all of the noise of individualism. We don't see us as being a group or a body or, or a family. You know, it's poor, lonesome me sitting here in an aisle or sitting here in a pew, isolated and alone. I asked Matthew to play that song, God's Not Dead, for a reason. How many of you saw the movie? You know, a lot of hands up. For those of you that did not, it was a great movie. I mean, its storyline was about the fact that man has become so full of himself and has become so arrogant that he doesn't believe God is life. Matter of fact, in his arrogance, he has begun to believe that did he ever really even exist? And so this professor tries to force this belief onto his class. And one individual, one individual in that class rebels and says, I don't believe that. He goes against the culture and he says that, you know, God is alive and he is working in people's lives. And if you haven't seen the movie, I think you should because it has a message for today. You want to know why you should attend church? Look around you. Look around you and you can see in every direction that this world is crying out for something that they can't find. And yet at the same time is pushing away and rejecting exactly what will provide what they need. They see it through the false lenses of, of you know, rules, regulation, requirement that you behave certain ways, you do certain things, and stuff like that without the realization that that isn't what church is about at all. You see, they're looking for organizations, aren't looking for organizations. What they're really looking for are individuals for help. And sadly, we aren't all prepared to reach out to them and to give them what they need. Sometimes we struggle. We have a hard time forgiving and living like Jesus did. The struggle that we have in that and what we go through with all of that is a part of what makes us what we are. If you and I were to build a perfect church, what do you think it would look like? Would it have Christian in its name title? Or would that even be important? Would it be involved in missions? Would it be debt-free? Would it have a dynamic children or youth program? Would they only sing hymns? Or only choruses? What would the preacher look like? Would he be old? Would he be young? Would he look like Billy Graham? Or would he look like Pee Wee Herman? Would it only use the King James Version? Or just the NIV? What would be the most important traits of that body of Christ be? You know, the fact that we would even entertain such a question shows that we don't really understand what the church is at all. This is what the Apostle Paul writes in Colossians. See, here he talks about the characteristics of a new life in Christ. 
It says if Jesus is first and foremost in your lives, then chapter 3 describes the traits that we will have. You see then what we need. We need to be what the world needs. People who love and live like Jesus. Just like it says on that sign in front of the podium down here. Or that's posted out there on the wall. Or that we talk about often. And it being so evident that this lost world, when they look around, can see us and see that there's something different about us and make them curious enough to want to know what is that. And if the place was filled with those kind of people, can you imagine the impact that they would have on the community around them? Or even this world, for that matter? How much hope it would offer other people with what is there, what is available, what they can have too? They wouldn't be pushing a do-as-I-say. Even as a do-as-I-do, what they would be pushing would be, let Jesus do for you. We know this because that's exactly what the first century church did. They reached out to one another, they loved one another, and they did all that they could for one another. Sounds simple, but it takes some work to make all this happen. See, in chapter 3, Paul uses the words put aside and to put on. And if you read the Greek, you can understand that these words are imperative in nature. Meaning that they aren't suggestions, they are commands. They are words that are very strong. They're direction words that say, you need to do this. As Christians, you and I are not advised to be kind, loving, patient, or humble. We are commanded to be that way. We're not advised, or it's not suggested that we put away our old worldly ways. We are commanded to do that. That sounds pretty strong. But if we live that way, then we would be the body of Christ. We will speak, we will live, we will behave, we will act just like Jesus. So the first thing we have to do in order to understand this church thing is we have to examine ourselves a little bit. We have to look at, are we bearing the traits that Paul talks about? You see, that's where the word church comes in. It's not a building. It's not a fancy edifice. It's not a place. It's each and every one of you gathered here together today. See, when we come together, we are the church. In chapter 3, as I said, Paul uses some strong words. One of the things he talks about is, what does this body do when they come together? Well, the first thing they do is they work together. The Bible here says in verses 12 through 15 that as the elect, those chosen and called out by God, we demonstrate these traits. And then in verse 15, he says, we work together according to these traits. 
Well, I'll tell you what. Uh, that's something that we, even as a, this group, has some work to do. Because all too unfortunately, the old 80-20 rule works here, too. It's sad that, you know, on some Sundays we say we have to lift up the chairs and things because we have events. And I can walk through those doors and I can see dozens of able-bodied men standing around talking and three or four guys in here stacking these chairs. Or I can see what happens out here on a Monday night when casting bread is serving food to our community. Do you know that the limitation that they have isn't the food? The limitation is the number of volunteers that are there to help. Because they take the food and they take it out to the people's cars and they help them with all of that. If we had more volunteers, it would work so much faster. It would go so much smoother. And I'll tell you, they accomplish some incredible things with what they do with 5,000 pounds of food. Over 130 people were fed this past Monday. We were praying for loaves and fishes, folks. But every single one of those people got food. It would have been nice if there had been more people there who could have witnessed that. A member of my motorcycle club that doesn't attend this church says that he loves coming here and doing it. You know why? Because he says every time he deals with one of these people, he hears wonderful stories from them about how thankful they are for what we're doing and what a blessing it is in their lives. You're missing out on that. Well, some of you are missing out on that. He says if we are then the body of Christ, we are to have Christ-like attributes and list them. Two verses 12 to 13. He says, tender mercies. It's an attitude of the heart that is tender and compassionate toward others. It is a constant attitude that makes you and me easy to deal with. We're approachable. We can be talked to. We'll talk to them with love in our hearts. Kindness. According to Ephesians 2, 7 and Titus 3, 4, you know, we have been saved by God's kindness. We should only give back the kindness that we have received. Humility. The person who is humble thinks of others first and not of themselves. Meekness. Remember, meekness is not weakness. In this day and age, to be meek is thought to be somebody who cowers and hides away. That's not what the Bible says at all about that word. It talks about the taming of a powerful horse. It is power under control, meaning that we are self-controlled. Because I know some of you have a rather raw and powerful person hiding inside. Don't smile, Carol. says we are long-suffering, bearing with, forgiving. You know, those all go together. They mean to be patient with others. To lift and up another person, bearing one another's burdens, and to forgive an offender. It's not enough to not retaliate when somebody does wrong to us. It's the actual act of forgiving them for what they've done and then forgetting it. I know we can't forget it. It sits in the back of our mind, but it means forgetting it to the point that we don't dwell on it, that we don't choose to act on it, that we don't allow it to rumble around upstairs. And that's a dangerous place to play. 
And then we come to Colossians 3.16. It says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom. And as you sing psalms, hymns, spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. Let the word of Christ dwell in you. Not just visit you when you want to say a prayer. Not just be a guest in your heart when you're going through a difficult time and you're struggling and you want to reach out. Not to just stay in your heart for a while when you're, when you're having trouble with family or friends or whatever. It means to let that word dwell in you all the time. To dwell in you means to make the word of Christ a part of you. It's like giving the Holy Spirit a toolbox for your life. I mean, how many of you would expect a carpenter to show up at your house to do some remodeling work and say, oh, um, but I don't have a toolbox? You wouldn't. And that's how the Holy Spirit uses the word of God within us. You see, when you do... When you do allow that to dwell within you, God will take that word and he will use it to remodel your life. He will change you. I know some of you and I know how much you have changed from the old person that you are or were to the person you are today. Some of you knew me from who I was back then. And say how much they like me now. As opposed to back then. I used to have a title on my forehead that started with an A. You could probably figure out what that was. You make your priorities. When you put God first, it's amazing how many other things will fall into line and be taken care of. He'll reshape your thinking. It'll be easier to say, whoa. And to forgive than to thump and oh darn, which way of the past. And he'll replace your old life with a new life that will last for all of eternity. You see, we gather together for exactly the same purposes that's talked about all the way back then in Acts chapter 2, verse 42. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And what does it do for us? Well, we can see that when we look a couple of chapters later in Acts, back chapter 8, verses 30-31, where Philip is standing on the side of the road when this Ethiopian eunuch comes along, and he hears him reading the book of Isaiah. And he asks the guy, he says, Do you understand what you're reading? And the eunuch says, well, how, how can I, unless somebody helps me understand what it's saying? Why do we study the Bible? Someone said this book is the mind of God, the state of man, the way of salvation, the doom of sinners, and the happiness of believers. Its doctrines are true, its precepts are binding, its histories are true. It contains light to direct you, food to support you, comfort to cheer you. It's the traveler's map, the pilot's compass, the soldier's sword, and the Christian's character. I don't know who wrote that, but boy, somebody 
sure put together a lot of words to talk about a great, great book. Well, let's go back to these words about attending church. If you notice, Paul has been talking through all of this about the aspect of the individual. The individual characteristics of a believer. But through it all, as he has talked, it's not only about what the Holy Spirit can accomplish through us. He also talks about how we should be doing things as a result of it. We gather together to get into his word and let his word get in us. For the word of God is a living and active. It's sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart, says Hebrews 4, verse 12. And Psalm 119, 105 says, The word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. It's a proven fact that when you get together and you study the Bible together, our understanding grows and it sticks with us more. Did you realize that? You can read Scripture, but it's when you're reading Scripture with other people and you're talking about what that Scripture is that God reaches inside of you and opens your eyes and your hearts to what is being said. It's a Sunday morning like this when we talk about Scripture that it makes a difference and it grows in us. Here we see that the Word of God should inhabit the hearts of God's children. God's word should be obeyed, and we obey by being a united family called church. We come together to serve God, to learn more of God, and in the process to worship God. You know, worship is not just what we do on a Sunday morning. That we do corporately. But it also should be something that happens Monday through Saturday individually. Tony Evans once said, If you limit worship to where you are, the minute you leave that place of worship, you will leave your attitude of worship behind like a crumbled up church bulletin. It's sad there are people who only go to church on Sunday morning and never open their Bible or never have anything to do with anything else. Scripturally, biblically, or godly, until the next Sunday. That's kind of like eating one meal a week. How many of you think you could survive on that? This diet I'm on, it seems to be sometimes it feels like that. But it has a purpose. It has a value. So you notice that worship, notice what worship is. It's letting the Word of God invade and transform our hearts so that we can walk wisely in life. You see, worship is the letting of the Word dwell richly or abundantly is what that Word really means within us. The teaching of the Word should admonish us, meaning that it should encourage us, it should correct us, it should convict us. Worship is obeying and living the written word and praising our living God. Worship is a time to celebrate 
what God has done for us. And we invite others in to do that so that they can have the same joy that we have. It is so sad. You see people that are walking around depressed, that are going through difficult times and stuff, and you, you know, it, it tears your heart out. But do you walk up to them and talk to them about Jesus? Do you offer them compassion? Do you offer them some help, some kind words? Do you invite them to come to church on a Sunday morning so that they can get to know some of the people here? You know what? There are people here in this church that have been here weeks. And still, people haven't gone up and said, hello, hi, who are you? I do that and sometimes I'm embarrassed because they say, oh yeah, I've been coming for three months. And I go, oh, well, you know, I'm not always here so I don't always see buddy. But it's sad when a person says, yeah, well, it's been like that from everybody. We shouldn't be that way. We come together in this place to learn, confirm, acknowledge, praise, and worship God. He gave us this for our needs. It's an opportunity to dwell into God's word. Patrick spends hours with God's guidance, developing sermons and series, sermon series and stuff like that, specifically for the purpose of sharing with you what God is giving him to build up our lives. The funny thing is, is that, you know, I preached on some scriptures a dozen times, and then I've gone in and I've heard another preach on that same scripture, and my eyes are open to a whole new insight, and I'm amazed. But that's the way God works. Sometimes he reaches down inside of you, and I'll tell you what, sometimes I sit there and I think, you know, Patrick, why are you talking about me? Or Amy, what the heck did you tell him that for? That's not Patrick. That's the Holy Spirit taking what Patrick says and working in my life with it. See, that's the power of God's word teaching and admonishing me. I was convicted by Justin's sermon last week on the aspect of rest and the Sabbath. Amy and I hadn't really given a whole lot of thought to that until after we heard what he was talking about and realized that what we had done was we had lost that aspect of rest and keeping the Sabbath holy. And so we have made some decisions that will change that. See, that's that was Justin. No, it wasn't. That was the Holy Spirit through Justin convicting my heart of what I needed to hear and what Amy needed to hear. Ephesians 5, 19-20 says, We're to speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord. Always give thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And how can I thank and praise my God enough for what He has done for me? I know that if God had not come into my life when He did, my life would be radically different today than what it is. And I love my life now. He blessed me with four men in a men's group that took me through a time that helped me see and to understand family was. And even though we don't meet now, those men are still a very important part of my life and I pray for them and I know that they pray for me. I've seen both of my sons, our sons, 
become baptized and become believers through this church. Not because of, well, because God was working in their lives too. I can't thank God enough. And so coming in here on a Sunday morning and hearing Patrick preach, hearing Matthew and the praise band lift us up in music and stuff like that, to me is something that I don't have to do. It's something I get to do. And boy, does that make a difference when you think of it in those terms. You see, the point of music is a heart of praise to the one who is worthy to be praised. And it shouldn't be a debate in our churches. I know, I love the old hymns. I love the way they make me feel. There's something about the old rugged cross, amazing grace, and, you know, I come to the garden alone that, that causes me to tear up. I love that music. I love those, those songs, those words. And I struggle sometimes with some of the choruses that we sing. But I look around and I see other people and how they are responding to the words and to the music that's going on. And I see them being lifted up. And so I celebrate with them the fact that they are getting something in that particular piece of music. Because obviously God meant it for them. And allows me to be a part of that. What a blessing that is. The Psalms, well, the Psalms are many of the choruses that we sing. Hymns, hymn is any song that lifts us up and causes us to praise God. And spiritual songs, those are the melodies that we sing in our hearts. How many of you through the week find yourself going back and all of a sudden you're singing a part of the hymn or the chorus or the song you heard last Sunday? Yeah, I do. I'm not afraid to raise my hand. It's weird. Especially since I can't remember all of it. It's there. God's trying to go, hello, remember me? You know, together we come to this place, as I said, to learn, to love, and to praise our God. That is what church is, folks. We are the church when we come together. We are not the church when we're individuals out on the street. When you attend church, it means that you attend to your brothers and sisters in a place where you can worship, where you can sing, where you can learn the Word of God, where you can be uplifted, where you can be encouraged or maybe convicted. Maybe you need to make some changes in your life. The Holy Spirit is working in you too. It's a matter of faith. See, worship is obeying and living the written word and praising the living Lord. It's a time to celebrate what God has done for us. Simple as that. It doesn't get any simpler. So when you get up Sunday morning and you come in here, you're not coming in here because you have to. You're not coming in here because it's, I hope, because it's routine. I hope you're coming in here because it's an opportunity for you to say hi to somebody that you haven't talked to lately. Hi, Tim, how you doing? By the way, I'm working on that issue. I've got some information to tell you. Or, hey, Joe, you're still as ugly as ever. 
I love that guy. He is a dear, 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 deep friend. I can't see him enough, even though we're together in a Wednesday morning Bible study. I could pick out several others of you, but I won't embarrass you. But I love coming in here. I love being with you. I love this opportunity for us to sing or croak, in my case. I guess when you really look at it, church comes down to a matter of faith, as I said. Faith says, I believe and I'm confident in God and his plans for me. With that being said, coming together with all of you, sharing God's word, worshiping with him who he is, and praising him for what he has done is, as I said, not something I have to do, but something I get to do. And I like that. But we can't ever forget what Paul says in verse 17. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So the next time you're out there and you see somebody that you want to invite to church, remember, you're not inviting them to this building. What you're doing is you're inviting them in to meet the rest of your family. You're bringing them in to have a chance to talk with others who can lift them up, encourage them, or love them for whatever they're going through. If you're one who's in need of that, then you should be making that known. So that your family can come around you and do that. Whether it be through a small group, or whether it be right here in this service on a Sunday morning through VBS, and through the other things that we do and serve with. Folks, we need to be revived. We need to look at all of this as something, as a blessing from God, not as something that we have to do. God gave you this not so that you got to get out of bed on Sunday morning. He gave you this so that you could come together and be blessed on a Sunday morning. So if you would, please stand with me. We're going to pray. Father, I thank you for this body of believers. I thank you for these men and women and children in this place that come here not because they have to, but because they want to. Because they want to see and to talk with brothers and sisters who are of like mind and of like heart. Who may be able to help them as they go through struggles by lifting them up, encouraging them. Or maybe might just tell them that they need to wake up and realize that God is alive in their lives too. Help us to reach out to those around us. Help us to encourage others to understand and to see that church is not a building. It's all of us. And I thank you for that blessing, Father. I thank you, Lord Jesus, for what you have done that made this possible. And it's in your holy and precious name that I pray. Amen. We're going to have a time of invitation. If you haven't accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, now might be the time to do that. If you need prayer, we have prayer teams that are up here. And they're not up here just to stand up here and to be there. They're there for you. If you're struggling, if you have questions, if you have doubts... If there's something that you want to praise God for and you just want it known, come up to these prayer teams and let them know that. Let them lift you up in prayer. 
And if you won't do that, then grab the person beside you and say, hey, can we pray? And do so. And as you listen to this song, as this chorus, as this praise, as this goes on, let your heart be open to the God that loves you so, so much.